This is Talk of the Town, where interesting people talk and London listens. It's Wednesday. It's left, right, and center. Bob Metz joins me in the studio. Jeff Schlemmer will be with us momentarily. Good morning, Mr. Metz. Good morning, Jim. I know you've been busy lately traveling around uh, expressing your concern and discussing with each other or with other people their concerns about the uh, Ontario Bill 155, which is now not dead in the water but dead on the table because mm -hmm. the legislature has... Uh, has risen for the time being. The Harris government has indicated uh, this is a high priority. We've talked about it in this program before. Uh, this is the one that says, basically, it doesn't matter whether you're guilty of a crime or not, if on the balance of probabilities they can, they can create a picture that, uh, that you got that car and that boat and that house as a result of the proceeds of crime, that you're going to lose that. And they don't have to convict you of the crime. They just have to set up a balance of probabilities. Um, it's it, worse than that, even. You don't have to commit a crime. It could be an, om an omission. And it also could be something that's related to a potential for future crime. Mm -hmm. You may own a piece of property, say a gun, or some other electronic piece of equipment that could be used in a future crime. And if on the balance of probabilities, according to the police, they think you might do that, that's, that's warranted enough, grounds enough to seize your assets and you have no say in the matter. Mm. Now, we know that the United States, is, or at least some states in the United States, have been uh, experimenting with this for a number of years with some degrees of success and some degrees of failure too. I think many of us have, many of us have seen, and I mentioned when we did the, the show a few weeks ago about this, that 2020 or one of those programs uh, a couple of years ago did a big story about a guy who had everything, lost everything, and eventually got not much of it back, even though the government said, well, we're sorry and we were wrong and so on and so on, but sorry about your luck. Uh, what, what can you tell us about the experience in the States? Well, Freedom Party gave a presentation at the Bill 155 hearings in Toronto that were held on February 20th. There were many interesting presentations. Among them was one by Karen Selleck, who reported uh, the lawyer from Belleville. From Belleville, yes, who appears in the Free Press from time fairly time. regularly, and she reported that there are literally thousands of cases every week in the United States states of asset forfeitures that are unjustified. And apparently you can find out of the details about a lot of these by going to the various websites that are created for this purpose. Mm -hmm. One of the big ones is called FEAR, and it stands for Forfeiture en Endangers American Rights. And um, what they do there is they list all the horror stories that have been occurring because in the United States, of course, the police benefit directly. They get to keep the assets and the profits that they seize. Mm -hmm. So there's a tremendous... Uh, you know, incentive on their part to become profit-oriented, which uh, ironically is exactly what they say they're opposed to. They want to kill the profits of organized crime, which is a story that gets repeated over and over and over again. Profit, organized crime, profit, organized crime. But I don't even think that's what the average citizen's even concerned with. I think what, what we saw at the hearings was that the average person wants to know that, you know, they're safe when they go to bed at night, that when they go to work in the morning, they don't have to put bars on their windows that when the police arrive at their house, they can actually do something about a criminal activity. But these are the basic things that we're constantly told that the police can do so little about. And that, to me, is where the, 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 the fundamental core of police activity should the be. The police argument has been, at least part of the argument has been, that um, in some cases, because of the nature of our Constitution, because of the nature of the laws of evidence, rules of evidence, that there are situations in which it is very plain to any reasonable, responsible third-party observer that something fishy is going on. They have not been able to intervene. They have not been able to hold these people accountable, given the, the structure of the laws that we have now. And that's why they're seeking these extra powers. The police say, we have absolutely no intention of abusing them at all. We're only going to use them in situations where 
basically as a last resort. But, but the where, we, where, we, where, we, where we know, quote, know we've yeah. got somebody, but we just can't, quote, prove it. Let me be blunt here. I'd rather live in a society that has a given crime rate or a criminal rate than live in a police state. Because these kinds of laws are abusive in and of themselves, and they're guaranteed to be abused. Just because they may happen to catch one or two legitimate criminals for every 50 people that they innocently go after does not justify the law. And I think it breaks such an important fundamental premise to our whole society, the structure by which... But what if it's the other way around? What if it's they catch 100 bad guys and there's one guy who gets caught up, which I think is more likely. Well, you I, can... I, I have a tough time imagining, and, and you know, I have pretty good imagination, I have a tough time imagining a police force in this country... Um, taking this and using it to random willy-nilly go after all sorts of innocent people. They're doing it already. I sat in two courtrooms just uh, in the past two weeks here in London, no media was present by the way, where I was watching people who were, had no crimes, that were not charged with any crime, but were having their assets taken away, namely their gun collections, which by the way were legally registered, properly stored, there was no instance of, of illegalities at all. It was on the balance of probabilities they figured that maybe it might be used in the future for some violent mm -hmm. act because of the person's political beliefs. Mm. And this is already going on. And apparently it's a matter of routine. The issue that we had with the London Police Department where they started issuing letters out to certain people asking them to come down to the London Police Department on Sunday to discuss their beliefs with the police. Mm -hmm. That hasn't been resolved yet. We're still waiting for a response on that. The court case is still sitting in limbo. Probably, you know, after we see what's going on with Mr. Gramolini, I'm not surprised it's taking that long to resolve these kinds of issues. But this is very frightening stuff. On the federal level, we see the Kretchen government putting in legislation to draft rules that the police must follow while they are breaking the law. Like, to me, that's a contradiction in terms. Mm -hmm. You don't have rules for breaking the law. That's but absurd. But there's a, long, there's a long tradition in our society of... Breaking the law? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> of course there is. Of, bend, of the police bending some of the more obvious rules in order to ingratiate themselves with the bad guys. And to a degree, they must be given that authority, but they must be held accountable. What the if they're wrong, if something goes wrong and they get the wrong person, and they don't seem to be too concerned about that in this case, they should be held accountable. You see, we already have asset and forfeiture laws in Canada, there, but they're in the criminal code, and you have to prove someone is guilty of a crime yeah. before you can seize their assets. And to me, this has been one of the fraudulent things about the way this bill has been sold to the public, is that they're telling us that this is an asset, you know, this is a um, you know, forfeiture of assets of crime. Who can argue with that? You know, it, it sounds... Makes, Apple pie makes, and motherhood makes perfect, kind of, sense. makes perfect sense, yeah. and nobody's going to be against that. But then when you actually see that, you know, like... Here's the bill here. Here's the most astounding thing in the, in, in, the, in the Bill 155. In proceedings under this act, quote, an offense may be found to have been committed even if, A, no person has been charged with the offense, or B, a person was charged with the offense, but the charge was withdrawn or stayed, or the person was acquitted of the charge. Now that tells me that they put a person through a process, they examine all the evidence, they find out he's not guilty, but they get to keep his property anyway. Got a big problem there. Jeff Schlemmer joins us on the telephone. Good morning, sir. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Hey, how are Jeff. you today? Not too bad. I don't know how much of our conversation you've heard thus far, and I'm not sure this is an issue where we're going to be divided along left, right, and, or center lines, but Bob is concerned about the asset forfeiture, the, the proposals by the provincial government. Uh, my guess is you're not really thrilled with them either. No, that's true. Uh, and uh, say it seems like they're moving towards this direction of saying that they don't... Um, 
they don't uh, prove sort of beyond a reasonable doubt that you're uh, guilty of something before they come along and take your stuff. And and it also, again, has a sort of snacks of greediness somehow. It's not really a, a punishment per se in the sense that prison or something else is. It seems like it's just a, a money grab. If we if we look at again come back to uh, the defense of it from the people who are proponents of this you know their contention is that they're dealing with highly sophisticated highly motivated uh, highly funded individuals uh, whose whose assets and resources far outweigh those that can be brought to bear on them by the police and that this is one way that the police may have to redress that in that perceived imbalance it's the wrong way. I, I, I agree with well, them exactly. that their assets have been cut back. Let's give them more assets. That's one of the few legitimate functions of government that you'll find me supporting. Mm -hmm. And that's a legitimate police acting in the legitimate interest of protecting citizens. Now, the big issue here with is that when they're talking organized crime, the, the fundamental part of organized crime that they generally refer to is usually the drug trade. That's like mm -hmm. big, big, big one. Yeah. And, uh, but the thing is, if you want to take the profits out of organized crime and drug trade, what you do is you legalize yeah. You legalize the drugs. You do not do this. This puts more profits into it. What will happen, and what has been the experience wherever else um, forfeiture laws are in place, and by the way, the United States is now backtracking and starting to change things at the federal level, forcing the states to back off, mm -hmm. is that the truly organized criminal who has a lot of money and assets moves his assets and profits out of the jurisdiction that has these laws. And so what is left for the police to pick on are the people who don't have money to go to court, the people who don't have the, you know, it might not be worth their while to get the assets back. Co common example is, uh, for example, in Detroit, uh, um, an automobile, this happened in 1988 and wasn't adjudicated until 1996, and in, in the news was not good. Um, in 1988, a car was confiscated because the man in the car was soliciting a prostitute, which was an unlawful act in the city of Detroit turns out later that the car apparently belonged to the man's wife so she wanted her car back and after how many years in court from 88 to 96 the court ruled no you're not getting your car back well we've heard that too for other seizures where we've had canadians go to the states and they've had prescription drugs in the car that don't happen to be uh legal there yeah and they seize your car and you're not getting it back period end of story well, we're talking about the American side of the border, and I've said many times about many issues here, there's no reason carved in stone I can see that we have to necessarily repeat the American experience in Canada. Are there no protections built into this, Bob, that, uh, that, would, that would tend to ameliorate some of those kinds of problems? Well, what protection is there when you can even prove yourself innocent and they still take your assets? Like, it's been argued, and I suppose, and it's true in one way, that, that this bill puts a reverse onus. You're guilty until proven innocent. Mm -hmm. But that's not even true. That becomes irrelevant, because even if you prove yourself innocent, the state can still pr take your property. So what's the point of even having any onus at all? This but, Jeff, let me ask you this question. This seems to me to fly directly, smack dab, into the face of the Constitution. This is not, there's no way this is going to withstand a constitutional challenge, is it? Well, you would hope not, although it seems to be a trend, though, in the last several years that I've been noticing uh, more sort of reverse onus types of laws, the uh, uh, driving laws now, for instance, where the police can seize your car if they suspect that you've been drinking. Uh, you know, they, they take your car irrespective of, of whether you're ever convicted of anything or not. Uh, again, they are these uh, guilty until proven innocent types of cases, and uh, the courts have so far upheld those. For, I, I don't know how they have. I'm not a criminal lawyer, but so far they said, yeah, in a free and democratic society, that's a reasonable limit. Um, and I presume that they've done it in that case on the basis of arguing that drunk driving is such an overwhelming problem 
that it's justified to take away, you know, rights of... But how reasonable, you used the word reasonable, one wonders how reasonable it is to seize the assets again of someone who may even have been acquitted of the crime plainly in court before a jury of his or her peers or in front of a of a magistrate they have been acquitted and yet the uh, authorities still under the bill would have the ability to seize their property i can't imagine that that would meet a constitutional test bob if we look at uh, where we're going with this it's it's dead right now because the legislature has risen harris has said it's going to be a priority are, are, is what you've got in front of you, I mean, is this what's going to be passed? Are they still consulting so people? You said you've still, made some presentations. They're still consulting. Um, I, I can say, state for the record that the only only individuals in favor of this was, was the Toronto police, particularly Julian Fantino, mm -hmm. who, who kept referring to this bill as a tool. This is the word you always hear. This bill is a tool which, you know, to me, translates into an utter violation of all individual and, and personal and privacy rights that any Canadian has to allow the police to operate illegally, to be not accountable for those actions if they're wrong. One of the reasons, for example, uh, that we don't see a lot of the current asset forfeiture laws employed in Ontario, we, we employ them the least, I learned through this process, mm -hmm. and that's because the Attorney General has to assign a document to assume responsibility if something goes wrong. And therefore, the Ontario government would be responsible if they went after the wrong person. Yeah. So what this law does is it eliminates that responsibility. There is no um, recourse back to the law if they're proven wrong. You're just out, out of luck. Too bad. You know, time to go home, Charlie, I guess. But they certainly are afraid of a constitutional um, challenge. They know it's going to be a tough one. In fact, just as the legislature was being put to rest in the last session there, uh, one of the federal departments was attacking the bill as being a, a, a tax bill, and that was the tax department. Hmm. They, they viewed this as c competition with them because basically they figure they're the only ones that have the right to steal our property without <laughs> anything to go, and then the police shouldn't be doing this either. And that's how ridiculous the situation's getting, that even other branches of the government view this as not in their purview. And in, on that note, we will pause for a moment. You can think about who's robbing you, and we'll be back after this. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. Left, right, and center with Bob Metz. Jeff Schlemmer now joins us in the studio. A little late from court today, but we appreciate you being on the phone before. I think it's safe to say that all three of us are very concerned about this Bill 155. None of us are happy with it. None of us uh, uh, support it. Um, there may be elements of it that, uh, that, that, that offer some, how do I put this, assistance to the police and they're dealing with criminals, but certainly the, there are other elements of it that, to my mind, and I think to my two guests who just render this this thing should not be passed. Police should not be a profit center. No. I, I agree. And, you know, just think of all the innocent people who've been prosecuted under a system where we were working under the principle of beyond a reasonable doubt. You yeah. know, and it still happens. Yeah. So can you imagine under balance of probabilities? Which is a, a much softer test. Much it's softer. It's a scary test. place, I tell you. <laughs> uh, Jeff, I want to ask you, since you come from court, I want to ask you about this little furor about Stockwell Day and the judge. I mean, Stock's been in a lot of trouble, hot water lately with the media and so on, but he made some comments about, about a judge who made some, to my mind, some rather curious rulings uh, regarding some documents with the, with the, uh, uh, the bank. And... Stockwell has been attacked by, among other people, former Chief Justice Antonio Lammers, who got himself blasted in the free press today, I thought rather nicely. Let me just read this to our listeners. Now, the, the context of this is that Mr. Mr. Lammers, that, uh, that's his name Lemur. is pronounced? Lemur. His, uh, Mr. Lemur was uh, uh, front and center on criticizing Mr. Day for his temerity in criticizing a, a judge. 
And this is what the Free Press had to say about Mr. Lemur. Former Chief Justice Antonio Lemur is retired and lashing out with rude comments at the Canadian Alliance for his observations on the Supreme Court of Canada. Maybe the one-time Liberal appointee misses the $235,000 a year salary or wearing that scarlet robe trimmed with white Canadian mink. Then again, pretend royalty often has trouble with criticism. Ouch! <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> oh! Uh, what is going on here? I mean, it, surely it's not inappropriate for a man like Mr. Day to comment on the, uh, on the, uh, the uh, career uh, path that this judge has taken to get where he is. He noted that he was an appointee by Mr. Chrétien, but I think all judges are appointed by the Prime Minister. Uh, but uh, my understanding was he was a bit of a crony, had been involved in this and that and the other thing, and probably was not the most objective player in this game. Is there, there's no reason why Day shouldn't speak out, is there? No, I don't think there is. I, I think that the most you can say is that maybe the way he did it is what got him in a bit of trouble, and it may be an experience issue again that, uh, that he's relatively new at this. But uh, no, to me, you've got to be able to criticize judges. And, and one of the... the uh, defenses that I heard from Justice Lemaire was that judges can't defend themselves in the media and that may be true but they sure got a lot of friends who can and I noticed it just was like a ton of bricks fell on Stockwell Day mm -hmm. when he when he said this but I think that where he ran into trouble was that he said the judge had a conflict of interest and in courts we always use sort of obsequious obscure language you never actually say anything you sort of suggest and hint at it you say well we were kept concerns that there may have been the appearance of a conflict or something but but uh, technically what he what he should have done i would think and maybe he has done he probably has is file a complaint with the Ju canadian judicial council who review what judges do and file an appeal and i believe he's done that as well but the the big concern that i had from it was this idea that this judge has granted an order to destroy documents and to me that's just unprecedented i've never heard of anybody any judge anywhere I've never heard of any law to authorize destruction of documents especially not while they're live while there's an issue outstanding somebody you know there's been an ongoing move to try and destroy the Hamalka tapes or mm -hmm. the French uh, Christian French tapes yeah. and you can sort of understand that the appeals are all done it can never be used in evidence again the family would like them destroyed you can understand that but you're in the middle of a, of a lawsuit here a wrongful dismissal case you're in the middle of a huge furor going on in the country about what happened here and suddenly a judge says we should destroy some of the evidence uh, to me that's a, just unprecedented and and I, I, there's some things that, that that existed here one of them is he's only been a judge since last June and I would have thought that uh, if you had a case that was this sensitive you might appoint a more senior judge to hear it and and it might have been a good idea for him to say I think I'm going to hand this one off well, to the Chief Justice or somebody. Why are we not hearing more about that element of it? That that I mean, the, the fact that, that this was an unprecedented ruling. I mean, it's been commented on, but it's not been a big deal. Nobody's really made a whole lot out of it, except maybe Mr. Day has tried to, and he's been so busy shooting himself in the <laughs> loafers that he hasn't... Uh, He's lost a lot of the credibility that he might have had on this particular issue. Well, I saw two, there were two law professors from, and of course this is Quebec law, so I'm not, it's not my expertise, but uh, I saw two law professors quoted on the weekend from Montreal who both said, I've never heard of this. They said, we could go back and try and research and figure out whether there's some precedent for this. Presumably the lawyer who talked the judge into it had some cases or something, but we've just never heard of it. And uh, it's not unusual for judges to, to uh, I can't remember if it's excuse or recuse themselves. Uh, if they feel that there's any uh, potential for a conflict of interest or any potential for the appearance of a conflict of interest, they're supposed to say, I'm going to hand this one off to somebody else. Mm -hmm. There are lots of judges who can hear this. It doesn't have to be me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and as far as I could tell, there was no uh, unbelievable urgency in this case that he couldn't hand it to the guy next door or something. Uh, but you do have these problems. Apparently his firm did do work in, for one of the companies that was involved in this. And again, that just doesn't look so good. Uh, whether that in and of itself is enough to cause him to... to take a powder on it. Uh, I don't know, but in all the circumstances, it would have been really wise for him to hand it off to somebody else. I would think maybe 
again, falling back into my obsequious language mode, because <laughs> uh, we do have to be careful. And judges, some of them have extremely thin skins. And uh, as lawyers, we're very aware of that, that uh, criticizing judges is a risky business to be in for, for anybody who ever might appear in front of a judge, which could be anybody. Uh, they really guard their independence. Uh, and they, they also, for good reasons, say they want to try and not politicize themselves any more than necessary. They like to try and say we stand back from the crowd. But realistically, every ju federal judge has been appointed since 93 as a liberal appointee. Everyone appointed before that was a Tory appointee. Um, you know, they, they are often people who have been active in politics and so on, and that is there to some extent. Although you can't always predict how that's going to play out. I remember uh, the uh, Chief Justice, who was the former governor of California, who was... Um, uh, Warren, Earl, Earl I think. Warren, yeah. Earl Warren, yeah. He was appointed by Eisenhower because he was very conservative as a governor, and then he became extremely liberal as mm -hmm. a judge. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why they have this independence that uh, they can't be fired for for just about anything. <coughs> I think what we're seeing here is systemic corruption in government at the highest level, and this is just a symptom of it. During the last federal election, when we discovered that Kretchen was making phone calls to certain bank representatives, and then I remember here on your show, Jim, you brought this to the attention of one of the local MPs, and they said they did the same thing here locally. To me, I was astounded that, that that was even allowed. What can a politician possibly do to call up a bank president who wouldn't give you a loan for obviously good reasons? What's he going to do other than give taxpayer money to him or guarantee some other things? And to me, that's corruption. Politicians shouldn't be doing that. That's, that's favoritism in government. That, that's corrupt at the, at the word go. Well, and the uh, fact that the liberal government thinks that this is their mandate, and that this is what they have to do in power, work on the ground. Well, I'll bet you it is. Is, is it after <laughs> the thing is turned down, though? Before I can, I can see a case for an MP or even the Prime Minister phoning the bank and saying, there's a such and such is coming through, I hope you'll give it your full attention. I mean, I, I, I can live with that. What I can't live with is the bank has already done it, vetted it, it, checked it against all its criteria and said, no, you don't qualify, and then the MP or the Prime Minister phones. Well, I've never, I've never quite understood how all that works in the sense that I know that MPs do a lot of lobbying for constituents and it's considered to be a major role, particularly for backbenchers who have nothing else to do. Um, you know, the, for them, a lot of what they're doing is out there lobbying government agencies on behalf of constituents and they lobby at all times at all levels they're trying to get business into their into their riding they're trying to get uh, appeals for employment insurance mm -hmm. uh you know they're trying to get uh, business breaks for for constituents and they and and yeah they, they do it at, at the appeal level sure if, the, if somebody gets turned down that may be when they turn to the mp and say is there anything you can do about this they say yeah we'll call them and try and lobby for them i think the difference with Kretchen is the argument that as prime minister he's got a lot more pull than mm -hmm. a standard mp then the argument is well does that mean that nobody, none of the constituents in his riding then can have an advocate. Uh, I, I don't know how that all shakes down, except that I know that it's extremely common. You know, that's what MPs have always done. That's what MP, MPPs have always done. Whether they should or not is another issue. Um, but, but fundamentally, to come back to, to Day and, uh, and his criticism of the, this aspect of it, uh, I think that Day really took it on the chin because he's been reeling lately. He's seen as an easy target. and yeah. that the, You know how the media sort of get a, an angle and they go with it. Yeah. And like here, well, here's another example of uh, Day falling down. Okay, we got 60 seconds left. Bob, I want to ask you, Stockwell Day, what's his future look like to you? Uh, not too bright. I don't think... Uh, Stockwell or his future? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, actually, I might be forced to say... Uh, an affirmative in both of those situations. Um, Day has not been the, the, the strong leader that he was expected to be. I think his problem was that he's a weak leader, in that he's strong because he's so influenced by the people around him. 
and doesn't seem to have that strict sense of direction and, and knowing where he's going on his own, or he wouldn't have problems like he's having, because the, the issues that have been put against him are so minor and should, should be so easy to deflect, and yet he makes a major issue out of them. Jeff, what about you? Well, it's interesting that it suggests to me that uh, maybe good looks and charisma aren't enough these days, and we thought they were. You know, we thought that in the new media age, that's all you really needed, and some and some good handlers, and uh, away you go. But uh, it appears that he's got a big problem because he just may not have the experience. Whether he has a chance to stick around and get it, we'll see. Um, but on this particular one, I think that uh, he's getting a bum rap. Well, if good looks and charisma don't make it, there goes my political career. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. It's always a pleasure. Nice to Thanks see both of you. Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer with us on this edition of Left, Right, and Center. News is now. Next, after which we're going to talk about a Canadian search for spirituality. More and more Canadians are looking for answers to their lives, not necessarily from organized religion, but from some interaction with the spirit. I was going to say the spirit world. The spiritual world. That's a little better. We're going to talk about that after the news. Plus, Andy Thompson is with us from CanMRVs on Ask the Experts. Stay with us right here on 1290 CJBK. And here is Steve Roberts with the news.